Justin. I feel like I just saw you yesterday. Is that because I saw you yesterday? Deja vu. Yep, yep. Deja vu. Back-to-back podcasts. We're rolling. Back-to-back podcasts. We're bringing back Partner Up in 2021. Um, the way that 2021 should be um, with a bang. Uh, so back-to-back podcasts, you're going to see these hit your feed like one right after the other. So you see these two podcasts come out, just know that we record on Tuesdays moving forward. Um, so we'll be back on that weekly cadence. Got a bunch of amazing guests lined up um, and super excited about the Cloud Software Association being our new sponsor. So if you're not a member, go to Cloud Software Association, join the Slack group, participate in the community because, you know, BD... Can't go be part of, uh, you know, the book club for BD. And the gentleman that we have today for episode number 13, Mr. David Pilgrim, he's been doing this for a bit. Um, David, welcome to uh, Partner Up. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to join you both. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. David, um, I think, you know, given that you've seen building and kind of zeroing in on, you know, partnerships can mean a lot of things to a lot of people right? Uh, you've had some specific experiences on these bigger tech alliances, right? Where you've helped build relationships between agencies and large technology companies from, you know, ground floor to great heights. But I'd love to maybe start off with like, maybe your interpretation of what the heck is BD? Like, what's the David Pilgrim answer to that question? <laughs> it's, the, it's the accidental career. Um, accidental career? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good question to start off with, because I think, um, actually, my uh, my wife was sort of making fun of me a bit earlier, um, early on in my career. Um, you know, we were just talking about, Hey, what do you do? It's like, Oh, I, I sell solutions. It's like, okay, what? So this is amorphous, you know, thing. It's like, uh, and this was the early days of, of really not even knowing exactly that we were going, I was going into business development. Uh, it was partnerships, it was alliances, all sorts of things. Um, but it was sort of like not in marketing and not in sales. Um, but, uh, it was sort of like over there. So, so they figured out someone needed to do it. Um, and, uh, and they weren't sure who, and they weren't sure what the talent base was. But, you know, for me, business development sort of does occupy that space that isn't marketing and it isn't sales. Um, but it is in the space that maybe it's strategic and maybe it's tactical. Uh, it could be both. Um, and, but it requires something outside of sales, right? It's not a direct line of like, oh, I'm selling that person. In fact, you're, you're trying to actually formulate something um, that sort of occupies that space. And we talk about, you know, in the world of like the, do I buy something? Do I build something? Do I partner with it? As soon as you land on partner, now you're in that zone of, okay, what do I do with that? How do I, how do I execute that? And so business development lives in there by its name. It's, you know, sort of, what are you doing? Well, I'm developing business. Okay. How's that work? Um, but anyway, I, I think that's where you start with it, right? Is, is somewhere in, in that zone that isn't in marketing, it isn't in sales. Um, but it's in this place you've now realized you need to invest in, you do need to uh, uh, execute in. Otherwise, it won't happen. So, whenever you got into business development, that was at where did that start specifically, and what maybe what was it like then that when you say you know coming out of sales and marketing, let's dive a little bit deeper there. Sure. Yeah, I was actually I worked for Cambridge Technology Partners at the time, so it's on the services side. And I had gotten a job in the marketing department. So I was marketing CRM technologies at the time uh, with Siebel, Vantive, and Clarify were the three sort of you know biggest players. And now Salesforce occupies a lot of that space. But uh, Siebel was the king of the, of the trio. And I was doing marketing around those because we had CRM services. 
And one of our partner managers, a guy named uh, John, I'll leave his last name out, but he had a great life. Every time I talked to John, he was like on the ski slopes. I'm like, man, this guy's got a great job. Like, what is this? <laughs> um, and uh, he quit one day. And what I realized is suddenly a vacuum opened where it was like we didn't have our certifications handled with Siebel. We didn't have our uh, enabling handled with Siebel and we weren't selling with them in the right way. So it was impacting our direct salespeople. So being in marketing, I was adjacent to all those things. Um, but I also saw that the leadership wasn't paying attention to them. When John left, there's just this opening, this space, this gap. And so uh, I unintentionally got myself into alliances by advocating for that gap. I went to a, um, a party and then being on a, a boat in Seattle and I was with the press of the company and I was basically pontificating when I just told you in a very short way, I was kind of, you know, how you might talk about that after a few glasses of wine. Um, and so I was being very passionate about this. And when I got back to the office and uh, I get the following Monday, I was now the guy doing alliances. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know I was uh, getting myself into alliances is sort of the, the, like I said before, the accidental career. Um, it, it's definitely was not my intention. Interesting. And so you came in through the marketing route, it sounds like, which is maybe typically non-standard. Usually you hear of uh, biz dev partnerships, people coming in through the sales route, but that was the marketing route. Well, in, in my case, actually, um, I found my way into marketing accidentally too, because I was a selling person. I was a salesperson much of my early life then. You know, I'd sold everything from Cutco knives to, um, you know, uh, bag groceries. But, you know, Cutco knives like basically was my first sales job. Um, but, um, but actually I also sold computers. I was working for a, a computer reseller actually before then, but the guy that hired me into marketing said, Oh, you'll figure it out. Um, and I think what, what he saw in my capability set then is sort of, I think one of the things about business development too is, Oh, you'll figure it out, right? You'll, 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 you'll map the territory. You understand what's happening in all these different pieces. And then you'll start and say, okay, this is what we need to do. Right. So it really does take, I think a person who's in business development has to have that figure it out brain. Um, if you're not good in that zone, you're probably going to have a tough time in business development because there isn't a lot of times a roadmap. You know, there might be a strategic direction, but how to go from where you are to where you want to go may not, may not be obvious. That's right. I've heard that phrase before and you know, you come back to it. Um, I keep coming back to that phrase because whenever you're trying to hire, you know, a lot of people are looking for direct experience. Like, okay, you've done tech alliances at another tech company, or you've done, you know, agency partnerships or, or whatever, but you know, every company's BD is actually probably a little bit different than theirs. Um, and I think that figure it out DNA is what separates the people that end up having great careers in business development and partnerships have above and beyond everything else. And it's, you know, some, some people call it the entrepreneurial spirit, the consultative spirit, um, whatever that might be. But, you know, I, I guess at this stage, is it, is it a real career? You know, I guess it is kind of a real career, right? It is actually, before I answer that, I so I would, I would, I would marry entrepreneurial with a motor. Right. And you have to have a strong motor. And what I mean by that is a drive. Like, so to be curious and not have, not have drive is not going to be helpful. So you have to have both together. ADD. Right? Yeah, so you're you're curious and no drive. You're just bouncing all over the place. That's right. That's right. You're like, you're like, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Um, but is it a career? Um, you know, I actually struggle with this quite a bit earlier in my, in my career. I, I, I was a member of a different association, um, ASAP, the Association for Strategic Alliance Professionals, which actually had tech people and pharma people and other stuff. And that was actually debated 
you know, it was sort of like, is this a career? Um, and it didn't really get an answer back then, but I think having done it this long and continue to find work in it, first of all, you know, people hire for this. So yes, I think it's a career. Um, but I would also say it's an underserved one. I think, you know, even when you are talking about this, uh, this podcast, right? It's like, well, wh why is this interesting? Well, because it's an underserved market. Um, it's, it's not well defined. It's not, I mean, you, you certainly can't go to school for it. Mm. Uh, you know, you might get little specialties and B schools about it, but it's sort of, um, in a larger context of other sort of strategic thinking and other things like that. It's not really a focus or you know, definitely not a concentration or something in a business school today. Well, behind the wall on you, is that not like a master's in uh, business development, David? <laughs> it is not. It, it, is, oh. it is a PhD from the University of Chicago, which belongs to my wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I thought it was the master's in BD. <laughs> it's not. No. Um, no, in fact, I, 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 it, it, we're, we're very proud about that wall just because I, it's a little bit off topic, but as, as a team, you know, we, we see our achievements. So, uh, but her, it's, it's kind of fun. Cause uh, yeah, most of the degrees on the wall are, are all hers. <laughs> right. She's like, Hey, I, you know, I, I went to school for my career and I studied and I've, you know, built this career and how the heck did you get yours? No, actually, right. I think, so I, I actually attribute my undergraduate experience, which is a liberal arts school as like a part of the DNA that makes up a business development person. Because, um, I always found myself being a jack of all trades, master of none, which, you know, was sort of like, okay, I, I like li lots of interests and, and to feed those interests, like a liberal arts school fed them and I could have lots of interests that way. And I think if you think about that curiosity that I mentioned before, that's part of that DNA, right? It's like, if I knew I was going to be a doctor, I sure as heck wouldn't have gone to liberal arts school the way I did. Right. In fact, I, I wasn't really quite sure what I was going to be doing. So I had to learn a lot of stuff to figure things out. Um, and hit some rocks and figure some stuff that way. And so I, I, I think that's part of, you know, if you're thinking about even, I don't think this is exactly where you're trying to go with this, but like the hiring, how do you hire these people? Right. I think if you look for those kinds of clues, right. Not that you have to hire a liberal arts person, but um, I think that, you know, if you ask, well, how did you get into that? You know, you'd, you'd, you'd start to explore that meandering kind of figuring things out, um, exploring kind of thing that I think is, at least for me as an element, or was an indicator early on. Now that I look back, that this is what I've been doing. And to there's entire, go ahead, I was going to say ahead, to flip that question on the head, if somebody was coming to you and there might be some people listening on the podcast who are checking out business development and partnerships for the first time. And they asked you, Hey, I'm kind of interested and I want to get into it. Would you say, you know, go directly into that role or would you, you know, recommend they spend some time in marketing, spend some time in sales, maybe in product management, product marketing to round out their expertise before they go into something like, you know, business development and partnerships. Hmm. I think I'd have to, I'd have to throw it. It depends yeah. on that one um, based on the individual. Cause I could, I could see benefits for both of those. Right. I think getting more experience in different areas gives you more context. Mm -hmm. So depending on where you're headed, um, but also for the right kind of person, I mean, this is the kind of job back to that, figure it out. You know, if you have the right sponsorship, or you have the right situation, you can figure it out, you know, and especially if you're good at maybe enlisting more help from other folks. Right. And so you can route it out other ways than having that experience yourself. Um, so sorry to give you a, a, a yes and a yes yeah. answer, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that's always stood out to me is the, the folks that have had to solve problems, right. And like come up with a joint solution, like a better together story. So I, I've always liked people that have some agency experience, 
um, or consulting, you know, SI experience, like even if they had some small exposure at a giant, like an Accenture, it's like, Hey, here's a client problem. You have to, you know, participate in solving it. Um, and it's that repetition of doing that over and over in BD of what, what we're really trying to do. There's two companies trying to solve a problem in the market. Um, you know, and speaking of those, you know, the, the Goliaths, like, uh, you know, Accenture, we, we, we have David on the call. So there's kind of like David and Goliath there. Um, no intentional play on words whatsoever. Um, you've worked for the big and the small, David. So you've seen, you've seen kind of both sides from, you know, the, you know, the uh, Adobe's, you know, you've seen the, um, you know, the small ones, uh, the big ones like Adobe, like Oracle, the small ones, um, you know, now you're leading partnerships at, um, Algolia, um, which is, you know, on the startup end of the spectrum. Um, maybe we could kind of take this David and Goliath theme on like moving into selling in those ecosystems, right? Um, and unpack this David and Goliath story and how you partner up or, you know, partner down. Sure. Yeah, I think, and it, it can go lots of directions. I mean, if you're a Goliath, uh, I mean, first of all, you have to know which one you are. <laughs> and it'd be, you know, sometimes you can be a Goliath to one and a David to another, right? So even in the size that Algolia is today, there are some partners that actually are smaller than us. And so we do have, you know, broader reach than they have and so on. But, you know, you kind of have to understand in any partner scenario, which, which you are, right? And, you know, usually the one is, is going to be larger than the other. Um, and what you're partnering for, right? Um, you know, we're working with, uh, you know, uh, Algolia working with Adobe. And so like one of the ways you might work with them is like just to be in their marketplace, to have access to their customers and things like that. Um, so it's a very common way where the Goliath is using their size to monetize essentially that size into the marketplace. So I'm going to pay to play, right? So it's not a super strategic thing, but it's sort of like it's a ticket to the mall, right? Um, but vice versa, as the as the as the Dave in that scenario, maybe I'm trying to think about well, what are other ways I could add value both for them and for me? Like, you know, who could I sponsor with that? So it's like maybe more energy is going towards that that ecosystem, um, both from a go to market perspective or a sell with or all those other things, but um, you know, as the David in that scenario, you know, my, my motion into like thinking about how I'm going to make value of that, of that partnership, um, is kind of where I spend my time and then obviously executing it. So there's, there's both sides of that. Um, uh, so I, I think, you know, I guess one is you have to know which one you are Two, you have to know, um, why you're in it. Um, and three, I would say you have to obviously have some measures. Um, it was actually interesting. Um, not to, not to pick on the Adobe scenario, but I, I, when I was talking about their marketplace, one of the things I love to ask when I'm in a partnership conversation is, well, what's in it for you? Like, I really, truly want to understand how do I get to that answer? Cause if I can understand why you're in it, I can make sure that you're getting it. Well, then I'm going to have a fruitful partnership, at least from your way. So I'm, I'm maybe going to have a chance to get what I want. Cause like we're, we're fulfilling each other's, you know, gaps or needs or whatever. Um, and, uh, the, the person on the phone at the time said, well, we, we know it's working or we our, our, our main measure is engagement in the marketplace. So basically just someone click on your thing. And I'm like, that's not a measure I care about. Like that doesn't even come close to something I care about. So I was like, oh, I was like very illuminated. I was like, oh, you care about something that doesn't even, doesn't even register for me. I'm like, hmm, okay, that's good to know. Because um, it, it immediately sort of gave me a better understanding about that, that relationship between their measures and what I'm trying to do, which is obviously generate revenue for my, in my case. Interesting. Interesting. And I, I've heard you, you say this phrase before, partnerships aren't always equal, but they, but that doesn't mean they're not fair. Can you unpack that quote and what that means? Yeah, actually, I, 
I, I, I can tell you a, a specific story about that, but I'll tell you exactly. Going back to what I said about knowing what you're going for, right, and understanding how they um, how they are attributing to your each, each of your benefit, right? Um, there was a, a time when I was at Adobe, um, and we were having a, a partner meeting with our key partner, a system integrator, um, and uh, essentially it was the first time we we're having a QBR. And the executive of the business unit, um, who's no longer with Adobe, but he, uh, we put up the numbers, right, for the, for the two businesses. And let's say, just to keep numbers out of this, but you, basically the ratio is like four to one. It was like um, partner has four, uh, Adobe has one. And immediately the Adobe being the, 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 the Goliath in that scenario, he was like, why is it like that? Why is it so, why are they at four and we're at one? Like, that is, that's not fair. That's not even equal. And I'm like, Hey, um, you realize that a services business, the margins on their business are way worse than ours is one thing. Um, so it's like basically it ended up that the, the money that each of us were making, Adobe was making more money, you know, profit. Right. And so there's one illuminating fact was like, he didn't even understand that just looking at the two numbers, he just looked at it and said, well, four is better than one. Right. So it was a very base level view of, of that equalness. Right. But also, it was like, what else are we getting from this partnership? We as this Goliath in this relationship, and we were getting a lot of access to customers, a lot of good new logos, and a lot of other things that were happening that were really, if, if you were the person running the, the business unit, running the, the business, you would register all of that, not just the four to one, right? Um, and I would also say, you know, the poor job of the partner guy in that, in that scenario was I didn't brief him and educate him on all those ahead of time because I didn't realize he didn't realize it. Right. It was a very illuminating moment for him. I was like, oh, he doesn't know that. Huh. I didn't I didn't think that would be true, but it, it was. Right. And, you know, I think it's one of the things you learn, too. in this business is sort of like making sure everyone understands. Well, what does winning mean? You know, or how are we moving along towards winning um, and things like that? So the non-equality thing, at least the, hopefully that that pans out that you can you imagine that meeting right where he stands. I was like, that's not fair. It's not right. You know, it's like, actually, it's, it's totally right, man. Um, but. Yeah, learn a lot. I mean, learn a lot. You know, that's the most powerful four-letter word in uh, partnerships is fair, right? Fair is the best negotiating word in the world um, because it puts you right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it puts you in the moral, you know, superiority. Whenever you start throwing out fair, Uh, no one wants to be immoral whenever they're negotiating against you. So you got to you got to level set that. Uh, I'm kind of curious, David. uh, This is kind of a side question, so I don't know if we need to spend time here, but. When you're in a growing company like in Algolia or lots of folks are in that kind of like series C, series D kind of company where it's like, hey, we got to figure out partnerships because we're going to go public. And if we don't have a partner ecosystem, like, you know, we've had three people in partner roles before they've all failed, blah, blah, blah. Or this, the team is scaling so much that you get new VPs coming in left and right. And every time a new executive comes in to your partner world and you're running a little partner team, you kind of have to level set on the thing that you didn't get right in that first meeting, do you have any tips or tricks on like, you know, you can't give them a master class, and you hate to show up to every partner meeting with like, okay, guys, let's level set on like exactly what BD means. They're like, what would be like your tactical takeaway for you have a new person coming in, they're evaluating or participating in your BD deal. How do you bring them up to speed on like what that winning aspiration is? Brand new, or they've been there long enough to know what they don't know yet. I mean, both. Okay, let's, let's, let's take them in two parts. So brand new, 
I think you have to start with the the, the big object, like the like we're doing this because this this is being this strategic objective of the company. We've said we want to do this, we're doing this, and this is why, right? Very very straightforward. So because you want to ground on something that they hopefully already know, since they're so new, like they they know something about the company and where we're going and things like that. So you've got to ground there, right? The reason why I asked about if they are a little bit further is that they're going to start to have their own metrics, their own thing of the key things. So like, you know, I'll give you my own example, meeting with our chief revenue officer recently, she's been here for a little while and I started to give her the the macro view and she like within minute 22 of the 30 minute meeting, she's like, yeah, that's great. How do we get 30% source revenue? Right. I need, I need 30%. Like, so it's like, it went right from the big picture right to the, I need this. How are you going to do that? Right. And so in that case, you've got to rotate it to their, their loci, if you will. So their, their point of view to at least meet that. Cause if you don't, you know, you've lost them, I, I think. Um, and, um, and so then in, in, at least in my case, you're doing two things, right? I, and actually what helped me do is actually always try to put the context of what we're working on at a strategic perspective into the view of that tactical point of view. Cause she's, she's bringing that message constantly to the teams, the Salesforce, like looking at that. So it's like, okay, that's where we have to meet the message. Like, you know, the execution of the strategy has to hit there. Otherwise, you know, it's all just kind of like partner people talking about blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Right. Right. So like transitioning from finding that win, you know, internally and aligning on that goal, I feel like half of my job a lot of times is fielding those inbound inquiries, David, where people are coming in and they want to partner with Drift because we have probably way bigger market presence than we do number of employees. Um, half my job is definitely saying no and just like, no, no, no. And making sure no one else on the team spends any time. How do you think about those? You know, you start to grow up and people say, let's partner far too often. People go, yes, but maybe you have a framework around that for identifying, you know, it really is. Um, what I've, what I've observed in some companies, um, and I'll leave the, the names out to, to protect the innocent or maybe not innocent, but no, well, well intended, um, is, is there can be extremely promiscuous, uh, partnering activities. It's like this, like constant barrage and like, does this respond? Cause like, it's like the shiny penny, you know, it's like, well, that sounds, that, that sounds neat. That sounds neat. Let's, let's check that out. Let's check that out. Um, and it probably goes back to like, not every partnership is equal. Not every idea is great, you know? Um, so you have to get good at vetting that. Um, and I will say, like I had, a, I had a meeting last week with a potential partner and I took the, I think I took it just on like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you for 30 minutes. Okay, fine. And within like 15 minutes, I was like, oh my gosh, there might be something here. Right. Like I, you know, like really something really great. Um, back to that sourced revenue thing. Right. So I was like, oh, I think there's some, some opportunity to create source, sourced opportunity with this partner. Wow. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. So, and I always say, cause I think there's a balance, right? Um, for us, like there are some macro strategic things like looking at what are the highest correlated situations where we're selling, what are the right partner ecosystems to be in, how do we make sure we can execute them? And like, those are all like motherhood and apple pie. Good, good, goodness. Right. Um, if I had my druthers, particularly I'm speaking on my, my particular situation, I, I wish you could have, you know, someone to vet those things. Cause like, like you said, that one of the values of you becoming, you know, a, a more known software company at Drift is that inquiry stream, right? Somewhere in that pile of 
nothingness is actually a something, right? But if you always say no, or you, you know, you have a, a, a like a, like a filter that just pushes all that away, you won't find it. Right. So I think there is a balancing act. Of course, you know, resources are not infinite. So if you can't do it, you can't do it. Um, but I do think, um, there's, and actually I, I think going back to my answer before about business development people being the figure it out people, like that's fun, right? Actually like getting that, you know, okay, what do you guys do? Oh, okay. Hmm. And you ask me questions like, okay, interesting. Um, you learn a lot and you see a lot. And I think those are, there's benefit to that too, but you know, their side benefits. Let's be honest. There's only one benefit you're looking for, which is revenue. So if you can't attribute revenue to it, revenue to it at some point, you, know, you might want to, you know, stow it. Right. Right. Just out of curiosity, because I know, you know, in the early days of partnerships, it involves a lot of outbound prospecting, trying to get the initial interest going, trying to get that 30 minute meeting where they can explain to the Davids of the world, hey, why I think you, you know, and the Goliath here should partner with me, the David. What did that individual do that piqued your interest? And, you know, what did they do in the meeting that got you from going to, from being at lukewarm to, okay, this is kind of an interesting proposition. Um, well, this case, it required me to, like, they didn't come with the hypothesis. Like, I kept asking, well, what's your hypothesis? Why do you think we should partner? What's, what, what did you, when you came to talk to me, what was your thing? And I got like focus, right? So like on one hand, it's like, if you are going to go have a meeting, have a hypothesis, that's a good idea. Um, but in this particular case, um, I, where they were kind of going through their, their thing, they said they had 35,000, uh, merchants. You know, so commerce merchants that, 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 that work with them. And I was like, well, our highest correlated, our highest correlated partner, or sorry, our course highest correlated customer is a, is a commerce customer, right? So they're adjacent to where we are. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's huge. 35,000 might be really interesting. Maybe somewhere there's a thousand that would be great for us to go work on. Um, but I wouldn't have found that, you know, so it, 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 I guess it takes two, right? Either you have a hypothesis or the person on the receiving end knows enough about their, um, you know, initial indicators of, of a good possible relationship to be able to ask enough good questions. Otherwise, you're just gonna have a thirty minute or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, two ships in the night, you know, conversation. But I, I, I thought the question you're gonna ask is like back in the days when I first started this, there was a lot of um, what I call vanity partnering. You know, it's like, hey, sign my paperwork, I'll put your logo on my website, you put my logo on your website, and like all our customers will know we're friends. Like hopefully and anyone who's listening, it's like those days are gone, right? Those, you know, we call them the Barney relationships. You know, I love you, you love me, or the hug and hug, <laughs> the hug and chug relationship. Um, you know, where it's like there's there's like and, and like if you really have these hug and chug events, like I'll bring my sales team together, your sales team, and they'll get in the room, and like they'll like spontaneously figure out how to work together. Never worked. Never on planet Earth did that ever actually work. People got drunk or whatever, like they had a good time. Like man, those guys are great. They bought us drinks doesn't make business, right? You've actually, I was having a conversation with someone about this the other day. It's like, you have to do all the work ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Here are the 10 accounts we know we're mapped up to. Here's our value proposition. Here's what I need you to do. And like, so, and again, back to your question, Jerry, on business development, like that doesn't happen spontaneously. The BD brain right. comes up with all that, the whole play. Um, I call it the easy button, right? It's like, you have to make the easy button so that the salesperson, because what do salespeople want to do? They want to sell. They want to sell as easily as they can. So if you give them the easy button, they're like, oh, this is great. The, the BD team did a super job. All I do is come to the meeting. I learned these three things. I partnered up. There you go. I partnered up. And, boom, you know, I didn't mean to do that. But, the, you know, 
<laughs> I did. Um, but, you know, I did that and, you know, this is how it worked. And it's like if you try to make the basically the playing field for them to act as, as small as possible to get them, you know, to go do it. Right. And I think that's uh, trying to remember how I got on that exactly. But, you know, that's that's kind of where you're trying to fill that void of, of how to come together. And be a, I mean, really partner. Right. Not just be a you know, hug and jug scenario. Definitely. And the um, and some of these other stories that you have. David and, you know, these David and Goliath relationships, there's a bunch of ways to break down that day or week in the life or even quarter in the life or year in the life of um, someone leading tech alliances. And you can kind of start with, you know, uh, let's, let's call it post-signing paper and having a value hypothesis that both parties agree on. You can kind of go into like, okay, the advocation phase, right? Where we're like, we're both going to market together. And then you have like the measurement phase. Did that result in any business? Maybe on the advocating side of the side, right? Where you've signed the paperwork and you're going to market together. Any uh, insights or stories around like, okay, you've got that. You're David, you've got Goliath to sign some paperwork with you. You've done your basic account mapping. Talk to me a little about, you know, if you have a story around advocating. Um, there's a couple ways to go with that. So I think... Let me, let me combine the data with the advocating and sort of a, a, a fail if I could. Cause like, you know, so when I was a CTP, this, this goes back far enough. I can like, just tell you the whole scenario and it'll, you know, it's old enough long ago that, uh, it, you know, no one will, no one will put it all together, but it's, it's fine. So, um, Siebel being who they were, they were, they were really getting into measuring, um, the, the execution of their partners, you know, the number of certifications they were having, the number of deals you were in, all that kind of stuff, and kind of what you were committed to from a partner level, right? And this was pretty new. I mean, this is this is almost 20 years ago. It's like, <laughs> it's a while ago, right? Um, so it was pretty, pretty innovative. And they actually called us into a meeting and showed us how we were performing against our partners and we were doing terribly against their, uh, uh, sorry, our stack rank competitors. So, you know, Cambridge has a set of, of, of competitors. And so they use that data to powerfully basically make us commit more. So it was another million dollars they wanted from us at the time for marketing spend and this and that. And so we said, yes. Right. So now to get to your question about like communicating and advocating it. Right. So we saved the partnership or what it felt like it. Right. They, they, they gave us this bad news and told us how terrible we were doing. We made this commitment and then we came back and we got to the head of sales and we told her how this is all laid out and what we had committed. And she turned to me and she goes, David, I, I don't think you understand what we do here. I'm like, I'm sorry. She's like, we, we don't sell software. I'm like, well, yeah, I know we sell the services next to the software. She's like, no, no, we're not going to commit to working with them that way. That's just not how we work. And so we had this massive gap in our partner strategies and what we were committing to doing and basically getting roasted by Siebel to you know commit to. And we then had no commitment from the field. Zero, none, right? So massive advocacy gap, massive alignment gap um, that we just didn't realize. We just didn't realize. Um, when I was uh, at Adobe, we had come up with a brand new selling motion with a partner um, to basically em embed the Adobe selling, uh, the Adobe Marketing Cloud technology platform as a consumable product that the uh, partner could sell with their services. Basically, it was like a brand new combined model, never been done before. Um, and we thought it'd be really awesome. And essentially it took control away from the sales force. This is another sort of miss in the advocacy. Uh, I hate to give examples where I screwed up, but I guess these are more entertaining than ones I, I got it right. Um, but, um, essentially we brought that out, that, that new model with the partner and it turned the partner into a pariah 
uh, with the Salesforce overnight because they saw the partner now as a competitor to their direct selling motion and they weren't bought in from an executive perspective, even though in this case we had executive buy-in, they just didn't think it through. And so we executed the strategy, but the uh, sales leadership didn't execute the message with the team. So it didn't work. Gotcha. So in both cases, advocacy really got uh, either didn't happen because it was a misalignment or uh, you know, we, we didn't get it right in the in the uh, execution advocacy with failed Salesforce. But I think overall, you know, our jobs and business development is, is to make that alignment. And, you know, I would say in the 20 years I've been doing this, those are mistakes I made that I you know, hopefully wouldn't repeat. Um, but they, I think they illuminate well kind of what happens when everyone's on the same page, right? The partner people are over there doing that thing. And then all of a sudden they come up with this, this idea that's going to you know, make everyone lots of money. This will be great. Like, you know, it, it, the whole idea was like, wait, you're going to get your partners to actually sell for you. Like they're actually going to channel this and bring us like, that's exactly what we want. We want to lower our cost of sale. It'll be amazing. Except the salespeople didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So. so did that change how you approach the next partnership in terms of what conversations you had before framing or while you were framing the partnership or how did that adjust uh, your approach going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, again, it's sort of back to the thing where it sort of surprised me that that leader didn't know what they, what I didn't know they didn't know in that meeting. It's the same thing here. So you learn that like, okay, you know, make sure, you know, and I have to say that even had we gotten that right and had we had everyone on the same page, I still think there are situations where when you change the, the relationship or trying to change how you get in the market, you, you can cross wires. I mean, that's just part of the, the creation process. I mean, it's, it's not always a perfect science. In fact, I wouldn't say you've heard that before. It's, it's an art and it's a science, right? There's, there's both in this craft. Um, but yeah, you, 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 if, if I were to do it again, I would certainly change and, and basically um, have executives communicate, not just buy in, but communicate it out so that, you know, we would at least have a chance to not have that uh, friction with the field. But if you have a, a company that's been a direct selling motion for a long time and you add a new selling motion into it, you you could have problems. Right. I mean, that's, that's reality. Around that advocacy, that's, <clears throat> I think you bring up a bunch of good points on, you need to know where, you know, their allegiances are in terms of the metrics, what's important to the organization, kind of based on title. It kind of brings up a, a quick question, David, like, you know, you're the head of sales or the head of delivery or the head of marketing might have some misalignment here. What's your quick take on where partners should report? And is that different based on the stage of the company? That is a great question. Um, Cause it is, uh, it's the sales and marketing alignment question rephrased yeah, for BD. I mean, right? I, I would say never in marketing uh, for the most part. Um, it's either in sales, like in my, organ, in my company today, it's actually under a strategic BD executive, right? So it's a strategic investment area within the company. Um, but um, I think most of the time, I actually shouldn't say never marketing, but mar if it's in marketing, um, it basically says, okay, you're a function of marketing, right? Um, when I was at, uh, a services company, actually, uh, alli alliances was a function of operations. Like basically you need the alliances to operate the consultancy. Um, cause those were, those were basically the fuel that was fueling the, uh, the, the services work. Um, and so, you know, uh, it's sort of, uh, that, that area. So I, I think 
the, the question is, is that alignment ends up being your, your key constituent and what you're driving. So if it's an ops, you're driving consulting and it's of course it's sold by sales, but you're, you're fulfilling that, that part of it. Um, but uh, ultimately I think sales, I mean, in the end sales is, is the best or the, the most aligned spot. Cause that's where you're aligned to revenue. Um, and I think that's, you know, if you get down to it, one of the key things about us in this world is like, you know, what measurables do we have? What can we say is how we're moving and revenue. If you get it right, you know, the next question is how do you measure? I think measuring is um, always a hard one too. What are you measuring? Are you measuring leads? Are you measuring pipeline? Are you measuring, um, you know, revenue, source revenue, influence revenue? I mean, like you name it. Um, but all those are sales related scenarios. You hit a very relevant topic because it seems like the more and more partnership connections I make, the more and more common the challenge around reporting the impact of business development partnerships and alliances. What are your best practices for that? Where do you see individuals go wrong when they tackle it the first time? Uh, get agreement with everyone who's involved that that's what you're measuring. Uh, get a system that you can actually measure it in. Um, get it, folks enabled so that they know to put it in. Because if you have more than like, I don't know, four or five salespeople, like the, the, the universe gets so big so fast, like you can't on top of stuff. Um, um, and uh, and uh, as much as you possibly can, don't measure fudge. And what I mean by fudge is if you have, if you have a, like a, um, uh, I think this one was, yeah, maybe this is, is, or isn't, I would always try to lean towards not, mm. you know, exclude. And the reason why I say that is the law of big numbers eventually catches you. Right. So if you keep adding things to your accounts um, and you, you look good for a minute, right. Or for a year or whatever, but as, as it, it becomes unsustainable. Right. And so you really have to, if you go back to the beginning, you have agreement on what is counted and you count it at the end, always, you know, um, just, just viciously, like ruthlessly tight, you know, and, and the tight ROE. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, cause like anytime you loosen it, you're, you're hurting. You may, it may feel good. It's like a sugar rush. It may feel good for a second, but it's, it's going to get you in the end. Um, and also I would say that if you're, if you're seen as being tight about it, um, it's harder to call it in question, mm. right? Because if you're, if you hold fast to those, those, that line, say, no, no, it's, it's gotta be these criteria or, or whatever, you know, you've got a, you've got a leg to stand on, right? Because in the end, you know, a salesperson doesn't have to do that. They either got the contract or they didn't, right? And, you know, with things like, you know, partner influence or partner sourcing, well, did it really come from the partner? Well, you know, I had a phone call with them, you know, back six months ago, so it could have come from my phone call, right? I mean, like, there's all sorts of funniness that, you know, um, the other thing I would say, one of the things we did at Adobe for a while, I don't know if they still do it, we documented the, the heck out of our sourcing, right? Not only how it was sourced, but actually getting the rep to agree. Right. It's, you know, documents and a note to the rep say, hey, you know, da, 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 da. and say, yep, I agree. You know, I need to plug it into Salesforce or whatever and, you know, move on. Um, but buttoning up like that, you know, it's never a bad thing. It's never a bad thing. It's kind of a pain, um, but never a bad thing. So what, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give all the listeners the, the look in the mirror, David Pilgrim test. Do you want to report to sales? Right. Uh, like not a lot of people would just say like, yeah, it should report, it should report to the CEO because the CEO is too busy and they can't pay attention to me. Right. And then the second thing is, Hey, there's this gray area. Try to pull everything that you can into partner land. So you look good. 
And I think he just took two controversial stances that I couldn't agree with more. And it just, it, it's high standards, right? Like at the end of the day, it's about money. It's about revenue. And at the end of the day, we either did it or we didn't. And the gray area is not worth arguing over. I, I think that's fantastic advice, David. Well, and where you're meandering to a bit is there are folks in this business um, that sort of like to live in that gray zone. They, they enjoy it because because of that. That's the reputation we all have. That's the problem that's, is that everyone right. thinks that we're full of junk right. because of those predecessors. It's, it's the lack of rigor. It's the lack of, of proving it. Um and so back to your original question about it being a career or not, well, it, it suffers from that, right? So it can be called into question because of it. And so uh, like anything in, in the world, I think, you know, we have to hold ourselves to account, right? And we have to say, okay, you know, did we do it or didn't? I mean, I think one of the hardest things in life is to say it didn't work, right? I failed, right? I didn't, I mean, I just gave you several examples today of some things I royally screwed up um, and didn't do right. Um, but in the end, you know, I'm still doing business development. I'm still doing alliances. Um, and I'm, I'm doing it at a, a, a high level. Um, and I enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, and I, I would say I took a lot from those mistakes. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think the key is you, you, you make mistakes, but you don't repeat them. You, you make new ones, I guess <laughs> you find new ways to mess up. I, I think that's such a powerful way. To, to wrap this conversation is around if you think about the, the the time and the climate in which we find ourselves, there is a lot of noise that seems like the extreme of every situation is controlling the conversation, right? No matter what your political beliefs are, it seems like the outliers are controlling the conversation. And what I'm noticing more and more is the folks that have the conviction, right? That are willing to put their name on the line and like stand tall and accept failure, not point the finger at marketing, point the finger at sales. Um, and to own up to the real North star, those are the ones that are going to emerge out of this because I feel like this extreme polarization, it's not going to last. There's a lot of people that think it will, but in my opinion, I think it's actually going to fade this decade. Uh, and people are just not going to pay attention. And the ones that are going to be left standing are the ones that held true to their conviction. Um, and we should not repeat the sins of our uh, forebears in business development and the gray area. And uh, David, I think you said that better than anyone I've talked to around this. Um, the, uh, we just had Martin Luther King Day yesterday. The truth will set you free, right? Um, and here, here. You, you, you can't you can't argue the truth, right? And I, I mean, I know we've had a to your point a lot of fact. Uh, you know, I can have my facts, and you can have your facts. And the truth is, no, you can't. Uh, the numbers are the numbers, and numbers don't lie. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's, it's an absolute, right. You know, and so I think if you can tether to absolutes, which are numbers and they're, you know, proven and they're real and they're believable and they're sustained, um, you're, you're going to be in a better spot and in a bit of, and be a better business person for it, for sure. And, and even the tip around, like, you know, getting confirmation from the rep and like recording that too, it's just another, it's another confirmation around that, that, you know, no one asked you to do but it adds conviction to your position. And I think it's just such a fantastic way. Um, so before we go, I have to remind everyone that uh, we're now partnered with the Cloud Software Association. If you haven't yet, go join the Slack group. It's a ton of fun. You know how to mute Slacks where they're not blowing you up all day, but you also have a community to follow up with questions on from the stuff that David brought out in this episode. Um, and we're gonna be doing live episodes in the future with them. So it's gonna be a ton of fun. Go join up. Uh, cloud software association any parting words or thoughts david um, you've dropped so many nuggets i'm gonna like 
break down this, uh, you know, Tech Alliance, David and <laughs> Goliath story into a, maybe some future content. And we'll definitely have to have you back on. But any parting words? I, no, I'd love to come back. I think, you know, um, you know, I think for everyone, you know, it's one of those things where you ask about the career and these other things. And it's like even just explaining to folks what you do. Right. And it's like what impact do you make? And if you can really hone in on that, it's it's great for your you know, the future way back to Thanksgiving and you're trying to explain to your family and friends what it is you do for a living. Um, but also explain it to your, you know, your bosses, your executives. And, you know, and I think you'll be surprised if you can truly advocate and talk about what you're aiming for, you'll be surprised at the help you'll get. I mean, you'll get a lot of people who'll be uh, energized and excited to help. Um, so I'll leave you with that and uh, love to come back and really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you guys and uh, all, of your, all of your listeners. Amazing. Well, don't forget, like, subscribe. Uh, so like on YouTube, uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Justin, I hear, is a big fan of getting uh, constant feedback. So he wants to Love see it. those five-star reviews coming Love in it. all the time. He, he His ego just eats them up. Um, and uh, this one was David. If you didn't think it was worth five stars, then I don't know what is in the partner <laughs> world. So thanks so much, partner up. We'll see you next time. I'll take time. the blame. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all on David. It's all on David. All right. Thanks, y'all. See you next time.